Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Kim. Hi, my name's Kim. I'm a compulsive overeater. I have a note that says clean language. My husband asked me when I was leaving, where are your notes? So I said, we don't do notes. He said, do you want me to come and I'll verify that what you say is true and that you've really changed and it's all good. I said, no, thank you, but it won't be necessary, but you can come if you want. Anyway, um, I want to thank Sarah and Lizanne both for asking me to speak. Both I turned down because I said, I think I spoke there last year. And so I went online because um, I haven't wanted to listen to my, pod, my previous podcast because who wants to listen to their voice for 40 minutes? And it just freaked me out. Like I thought, oh, I'm sure it's all bad and I screwed up and my voice. And So then I thought, you know what, I'm going to face my fear. I'm going to do this. So I looked back and it wasn't 2013 and it wasn't 2012. I spoke here in uh, September of 2011. That's what I thought of as last year. So that just goes to show. Um, and I listened to it. Because one of the things that I learned how to do in this program is to not be afraid and that I don't have to do it by myself. Somebody would actually hold my hand if I needed to, and I listened to it. And the first maybe 10, 20, 30 seconds was weird. And then after that, it was actually quite enjoyable. I recommend it. And, um, and I felt so much better. Like, and I got to see, you know, what it was like, even in recovery, and what it's like today. And it really is different. But just to qualify, since you don't all have to go back and hunt that up, um, I will say that I've been out of re- back out of relapse five and a half years, uh, maintaining a 50-pound weight loss. This is not my first go-round in OA. I've had two big... Uh, coming in and two big relapses and some drive-bys and visitations in between. But this was the one, you know, the third time is really the charming one for me. This is really different. And I want to talk about what's different about it, but just to qualify first, um, the numbers you have and the biggest gifts that I've been, I mean, there's so many gifts. You know, if, we, if I talk about the numbers, it just doesn't mean anything. You know, a lot of people have lost that and more and big numbers and that's not, the, that's not the recovery for me. The recovery is for the first time. My, my first eating started at four, and I have a very vivid memory. And, um, and I came into program the first time in the early 80s, didn't work a program at all, came back in the 90s, kind of worked as sort of my program. I got kind of my results. And um, this time, you know, since January 3rd of 2009, and I'm back. And... Um, The big, I mean, one of the great gifts is that for the first time ever in my life, I'm not afraid of food. It's not my friends and it's not my enemy and I'm not managing and controlling and calculating because I did everything. I went on every diet that there was. I threw every amount of money at it that I could. I went to therapy and behavior modification and um, and, and psychiatrists and, 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 and uh, acupuncture and everything that was out there that was going to make me better. And I would, in my life every day from the time that I was four until I first came into program was a good day or a bad day. Okay, so I blew it, so I'll start tomorrow. Oh, I blew it, so I'll start Monday. Oh, I blew it, so I'll start January 1st. I blew it. If it wasn't perfect, I blew it and I'm going to fix it. And I went to any lengths to diet and I went to any lengths to binge. 
I would think nothing of driving a half hour to get that thing that I want. Or lying about food. You know, saying, I didn't eat anything. Oh yeah, I'm starving. Let's go out for dinner. When I had just gorged myself. I tried every syrup of Ipecac. If you thought it up, and if if I didn't do it, it's just because I didn't get there yet. So I have no illusions that I was in a place where I could even maintain. Um, And so the big giant freedom for me is just the freedom of not being afraid of food. It just doesn't, I don't go there. You know, life is tough. I mean, we have good things and bad things, and we all do, and there's challenges. But I don't think today to reach for food to fix it. And that is, it's, it's unbelievable to me. If I was hearing this, I'd think, I don't really believe her. My husband will come and testify that I'm telling the truth. I just don't go there today, because I don't need to go there. But I just wanted sort of to reiterate the point of that I went there, and I went there for decades and decades and decades. And I kept thinking, you know, I'll figure it out. I read this in a novel once. It said, um, and it wasn't had anything to do with 12 steps, but I adapt everything I read to 12 steps. And I read the paper, it says recovery looks good. I think, oh, how much recovery do they have? I don't realize it's the economy. Um, I I read in a book that the character said, I spent my whole life looking for the key and realized that the door was open the whole time. And that's how I feel about program. I spent the whole time looking for the magic combination of diet and exercise and the right guy, the right job, the right thing, the right fix. And then I will somehow be delivered and I won't want to eat or I'll be able to go on a diet and stay on that diet. What can I say? I mean, there was no logic to this. All my past experiences proved that this wasn't right and I persisted. What is the lock? What is the magic formula? And what I found out that the magic formula is here, and even in being here, I get, I've gotten a new sense of what that formula is. So um, I started eating it as a very young child. Um, I was what they call food insecure. Now they, now, when we called it starving to death. But, um, and so I learned how to binge from those experiences of, of not having enough food I learned how to binge, and that felt really good. And I would go to my father's and be, you know, deprived of food, and so I would come home. My parents were divorced, and it was the only time I got my mother's attention. Like, I got to eat, and she sat with rapt attention, like, what's it like there? And then I got to tell the story, and she was all into it, and I just felt so powerful and so, like, taken care of and filled up. And long after I didn't see my father anymore, and long after I didn't, you know, live with my mother anymore, that, that binge mentality kept up. Like, it's so excruciating. I feel like if I don't do it, I'm going to die. I mean, really die. Was I supposed to read something or just talk? Okay. So anyway, um, so I'm going to talk about really about my recovery today because it's really different from my recovery even three years ago when I listened to that. And, and I'm going to tell you how, well, anyway... What I got to be in touch with was that I was still, it's a three-legged stool, but I was leaning very heavily on the food part. I thought if I found the perfect food plan, and if I just got it down, like I was very easily easy to identify my alcoholic foods. I mean, and I, and I have to make it very simple for myself. If I had a long list of like, I've seen them all, we've seen them all, right? Like cupcakes and pop, like how about just sugar instead of all these things? So I had to make my abstinence. My, my red light foods are very easy. I mean, fruit foods are very easy. Uh, sugar and starch, that's pretty much it. And that makes life pretty easy for me. And then I was willing, when I came in this time, uh, five and a half years ago, 
I was really desperate. I mean, I really could not stop eating, and I knew I was licked. You know, everything I learned in, in program before, once I stopped doing it, it went out the window. And maybe that's because I didn't have a great foundation, or maybe that just teaches me again that it really is a day at a time, and I really keep having to do this because it just doesn't hang around. Otherwise, people who have 40 years of abstinence would not come to meetings because they should have gotten it by 40 years. I mean, really. So... Um, I came in and I was licked. I really, really, really was licked. And I think I was struck abstinent walking through the door of the Darby office that, that time, January of 2009. And the reason I know that I was, I was really ready is I picked a sponsor who did not have the ideal body weight. Now, this to me is astounding because I would always have to interview, well, like, I, like we were going to get married or something. Like, I, do you have kids? Are you married? You know, what's your philosophy on life? Are you, are you a Republican? I mean, I need to know. Instead of just somebody took a, took a candle for a year and I looked at her and I thought, well, she looks nice. And I have zero and she has a year, so I asked her to be my sponsor. And I think she was as stunned as I was, like, oh, okay, but you're going to have to get a food sponsor because I'm not at my goal weight. I said, oh, okay. Like, where did that come from? And what I got to hear was that the thing that's different about this go-around for me and the thing where I really feel like I have a lot of recovery, the difference is willingness. It's not like, oh, that's interesting. I might do that sometime. It's like, Okay. And I'm not a person who wants to say, okay, I want to debate this with you. Really? Do I really need to? Do, you know, I'm really, I got to see. I know how, this is the food plan that works. Really? If it works for you, what are you doing here? Are you willing to do something that never worked for you because you didn't try it? That was scary. My first, my food sponsor, not the first one back, but the, she didn't last one, the first one. She wasn't abstinent either. She thought maybe we'd get each other abstinent. It didn't work. Um, she said, are you willing not to weigh and measure, not to count calories and not to count carbs? And I thought I was going to faint right on the spot. Like, what? You're taking all my tools away from me. She said, well, that's what I do, and that's how I maintain my weight. Are you willing to have a plate of food at a meal three times a day and work your program? And I heard myself say, okay, but I couldn't swear that it came out of my mouth. But it came out of somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I really thought, well, I'll just do it because I'll show her that it doesn't work for me. It might work for her. She might have lots of weight loss and abstinence, but this is not going to work for me. Until I was willing to do it. And then I think, oh, my God, I would have never guessed in a million years. I knew calories so well. Like, it it was a second language. English and calories. Those are the languages I speak. English and how, much, how many calories do you burn when you're exercising. Like These are the things I know. And somebody's asking me to throw them in the garbage and do it a different way. So scary. So scary. But I was willing to do it, and I found, once I identified that really, for me, the, easy, the ease of it is just to make sugar and starch. Those are the foods that are alcoholic for me. And then have a boundary, which for me is a plate of food. It's the outside of the, not a satellite dish plate, a plate. And if I go to, you know, it's a plate. And then the hard part is getting up and not calculating and reek, was that too much? Was that enough? Might be hungry later. And what I've learned recently is that all of that noise is really about fear. When I came into program, any time, any meeting, any day, up until this and somebody said, you know, about fear, I think, I'm not afraid. I really, that's not something, it doesn't, doesn't, I don't relate to that at all. I'm just not afraid. And I could tell you why, I, I have evidence to back up, and I could tell you, and you'd go, yeah, you know, you sound pretty brave. Except when it comes to food, and I'm petrified. Don't mess with my food. 
And it's really been becoming clear to me today, little things. It started for me with little things. Why is it that there's a bowl of apples and I want the big one? I will look at all of them and I like, I want the biggest one because I'm entitled to an apple and I want a good one. Why? What am I afraid of if I take a smaller apple? What does that mean? It means it might not be enough. What does that mean? I might be hungry. I might have a feeling. Well, I might, but I don't think this apple or this apple I'm going to die at death before my next meal because I had that apple. So I had to do what, you know, contrary action, what we learned, which is I'm going to make myself take the small one. And I'm going to write about it on my 10th step how awesome I was that I took the small apple. Um, and then I'm going to feel what it feels like. And I'm going to feel what it feels like right after I ate and 20 minutes later and an hour later. And tomorrow I couldn't tell you, even in the 20-minute mark, what size my apple was. But I get wound around this. Why do I want the big salad at lunch, the lunch portion, like, ugh, the lunch portion, and I, why? So I tell myself, oh, it's an economic decision. It's only $3 more for the big one. But it's not an economic decision. If it was, I would take some of that salad, take it to go, take it home and eat it for another meal. That's good economics. Oh, no, no, no. I want the entire thing. I'm entitled to a plate of food. Until I make myself take the little one and I say, what's this about? What is this fear about? What am I so afraid of? And... Um, I broke my foot two and a half months ago, and I really had, I really was in a good place about it. And I really saw this as an opportunity, like, I can either fight and go kicking and screaming about the plaster cast and the crutches and the, oh, my God, I have stairs in my house and I can't drive, or I can go, okay, God, this is going to be very interesting because I have nowhere to run. I have nowhere to bolt, and I'm a person who likes to bolt. If, if there's a feeling, I go, let's just go to Costco. <laughs> like, uh, let's just, come on, you know, I, I can go to Target. And then I don't have to think about that thing that's nagging at me. Well, okay, so now I'm on my ass with my foot in the air, and I was like, I'm not exactly ready to go anywhere. Bring it on. I might as well face all these things that are so scary that they derail me. Hence my listening to my podcast. For three years, as it turns out, I haven't wanted to listen to that because I just might be horrible. And how could I live with the fact that I was horrible and everybody in the country could listen to how horrible I was? And that was not my experience at all. So this is all a construct of my mind and that the things that I worry about are vast and overwhelming and small and niggling and, and present all the time. And if I'm willing to get in touch with that fear and go, you know what? I'm not going to die. Number two, I don't have to do this by myself. I can call somebody up and say, I'm having a feeling. I'm having a good day or a bad day or a feeling or a thought or whatever. People in program are not going to go, hey, listen, I'm watching, you know, America's Got Talent, so good luck to you. Like, that's not my experience. My experience is somebody will answer the phone and say, what's going on? Which is what I do when somebody calls me in an outreach call. I don't go, well, yeah, you know, a little bit, too, should be fine. What's going on? And that's what we want. That's what I want. I want to be heard. I want to be listened to. I want to be validated. And that's what we do for each other in these rooms. You know, nobody tells me how to feel. Oh, it'll be fine. The world will tell me that, whatever the situation is. You know, my son's an alcoholic. Oh, it's just a stage. 
Well, people don't say that in these rooms. They say, you know what? That's hard. You know, whatever. Like, oh, that must be tough. That must be a challenge. You know, call me if you need me or whatever. I, I went to 60 meetings in 60 days of not driving, and I never needed a ride. I mean, never needed a cab or a, a or Uber. Once I used Uber, but not for a meeting. I had fellows, and all I had to do but was the fear of asking. My first thought was, I'll hire somebody. There's kids out of school. They can drive my car. They can schlep me around. We can go to Target and Costco. <laughs> I'll call Uber. They'll take care of me. Then I won't have to ask because they know. How about if I just ask somebody? And, and then it was beautiful. I love getting, I miss that. I like driving here. But I like that. You know, I like that sharing one-to-one sort of faith. I like that. That was a great gift, but how would I know if I didn't get in touch with that little bit of fear? And I don't call it fear. I call it everything other than fear. I don't want to bother anybody because I'm afraid they'll say no. Because I'm afraid I'll be a pain in the ass. Because I don't want to make an outreach call. They're probably getting ready for dinner. Who made this up? And then I act like it's nonfiction. Like I, I created science fiction, and now I act like it's really real. Like that's the truth. They're cooking dinner, and they don't want to be bothered. Who said? <laughs> so what I try to do when I get an outreach call is thank the person for calling me because I know that I have that fear too. Like, <sighs> But if I say, oh, I'm so glad you called. This is the perfect time. How great is that? I mean, we all want that. So I've been doing a lot of work around forcing myself to be scared forcing myself to be uncomfortable it comes I don't have to look that hard it comes but I don't have anywhere to go and so I get to see what that's about and I used food for so long I used food for so long that that's like the go-to mechanism you know it just and and I have to unlearn that I'm hardwired for certain behaviors And today I don't have to engage in those behaviors because I have a program. Another great thing that really has been super beneficial to me is learning how to pause. Because I don't want to pause. I want to reach. I want to go. I want to send that text. I want to make that call. I want to run. And step 11 has really been instrumental to me in learning how to pause, learning how to sit, learning how to sit in loose ends, And I don't have to reach for the food. So when I was working this program as a food program, I'll have my perfect gray sheet because when I came in, that was the deal, you know. And then it was like whatever the variation on the theme was, I'll have, you know, 1,600 calories and I'll just, I was not working my program. It was fine and I got some results. But when I work the program, when I really do the steps and I do the writing and I call people and I really am willing to look at my stuff I don't need that. That food does not call to me. It's a miracle of all miracles. Like, why isn't this food calling to me? Why can I be in a situation where I could never be in that situation before? And it's perfectly fine. It's like I'm impersonating somebody who's a normal eater. I know I'm not. But I look to the world. If somebody followed me around with a food cam, they'd think, oh, well, she doesn't have a problem. (laughs) They should only know how much work this takes. How much work it takes to just say, you know what, no matter what, no matter what feeling, it shows up for me in hunger. I mean, that's how these feelings manifest. And I know that if two hours after I ate lunch, I'm not hungry. So you know what? I have to deal with that. And once I call somebody, I have two really big tools that are just instrumental to me. One is the phone and one is writing. 
and the writing, I've really, I've come to something that um, I'm sure I've heard. Everything I know, I know from programs. So somebody said it in some meeting somewhere. Um, I do writing now. I used to just vent. I would just, like, be pissed, and I would just get it all out there. I'd call them names. I'd curse. You know, I'd really typos and, and all kinds of stuff. And then I would feel better. And then I started doing, what would a person in fit spiritual condition, what would that writing look like? And it looks very different. And then I write, what would this writing look like from the other person's point of view? Talk about discomfort. But you know what? I get to see stuff so that when I'm irritated or whatever at a person or at a thing, or what, I get to see it like I took that pause. I didn't react in the moment. I don't have to because... Like, there's no rush. I mean, this is, and I don't have to get all wound up about it. I really am starting to see that everything that happens to me is a good thing. Because, it, because if my attitude is good, it's a good thing. And so having a broken foot was a gift. It really was. I had great insight and inspiration and clarity, and I got to sit still, and I got to learn how to say thank you. I'm very good at doing stuff for people. Of course, I never understood. I really didn't. When I came in, I did not know what service was. I thought, service, I'm happy to do something for you, but then I want everybody to know. And I would like them to at least applaud. I mean, I just didn't get, like, why am I going to do something nice for somebody if nobody knows? And now I get to see that that feels so great. That if I'm in a rotten mood and I am helpful to somebody else, if I call them up, if I do any good deed, any service, any anything, I feel better. If I do it with the, with the eyes towards, I'm going to do this so I feel better, it doesn't quite work as well. If I do it just because, you know what, I just don't know what else to do, so maybe I'll call somebody who feels worse than I do and see how they are, and I feel better. If I call a fellow and I say, you know, I want to eat this or do this or scream at this or this pisses me off, I feel better, like all the time. I don't want to bring gambling into it, but this is a sure thing. 100% of the time, if I use a tool, I feel better. And left to my own, I start going, maybe breakfast wasn't that big. You know, you did work out, and you could probably have a little extra, and it wouldn't really be bad, and I wouldn't have to really. I, I, I don't have the chatter anymore. I lived with the chatter. You know, I was on two, like if you have stereo headphones, I was on two separate channels. One was the food channel, which was the constant chatter about more and tomorrow and enough and starting over and how many calories and if the apple's 80 and it's not 100, then I could probably squeeze in a little piece of this. And that chatter all the time, all of them, the fattest, am I the fattest person here? Uh, maybe I am. And, oh, uh, what do you mean? I can't buy that dress in two because in two months, I don't know what size I'm going to be. And the chatter and the chatter and the chatter. And the other channel was trying to do life. And I wonder, how the hell did I accomplish anything? That is crazy-making to have, listen to those two voices. And today, that voice of that chatter of the food and the plans and that I blew it and tomorrow is gone. It's gone. Could I make that go away? I could. If I could have, it would not have taken me four decades to figure it out. If, I, if smart was the answer, I think I could probably have figured it out. If outside help was the answer, for me it was not. You know what? It's very interesting for me to understand the dynamics of my growing up and my father and my family. And my, but, the, but I still want to eat. And so I had to then come to some kind of a spiritual experience. 
And when I came in here, I was, I do not believe in God. I do not believe in the God of religion. I grew up in a family where, you know, if you believed in God, you were just a loser. You were just a weak loser. And everybody is self-sufficient. If you ask for help, you were a loser. It seems to me in my family, everybody out there was a loser except people in my family who were losers. But anyway, um, I had to come to, and so I'm open to hearing what other people did, what other people's experience. So somebody told me, start making a list of coincidences of things like, is it odd or is it God? And I only use the word God because that my experience is not the God of the Bible. But just for shorthand, so we all kind of know, like, everybody's experience is different. But I started to sort of keep track of those things, like, hmm, that is very weird. Then I started to do something very kind of recently, within the last four to six months maybe, where I do, you know, it tells me in the big book on page 86, upon awakening, here's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to plan my day or think about the day ahead. So I'm a compulsive overeater. What's the first thing? Food. I mean, where are my meals going to be and where am I going to be? Like, what's kind of the structure of my day? But I don't want to think that I have it all figured out like I'm managing and controlling because this is the structure of the day. Don't you know it and don't interfere. I'm looking for the thing that in the morning when I wake up, I would have no way of knowing that might happen, but tonight I'll know, and my tenth step, something will reveal itself. This keeps me wide awake. This keeps me saying yes, because the thing, and it's always a good thing, and it could be something really small, like somebody called and I thought, God, I never would have, I haven't talked to them in forever, or whatever it is, is that I get to be in awe and wonder in my own life, that I get to see that this is a huge gift, that this life, this small span of time that I have is a gift instead of the drudgery of I'll be good tomorrow and my life will start when I'm thin. Because that's what I thought, oh, I don't want to do that. I'll just wait till I lose weight and then. You know what? This is it. This is not the dress rehearsal. This is the, this is the play. And so when I'm open and when I'm, when I'm aware of what's going on, of being of service, of of giving service, of receiving service, of, you know, learning how to say thank you. These are things that are so much bigger to me than how many calories was in that thing. But I had to be willing to be afraid to give that up. And I'm not endorsing that for anybody else. This is just my story, you know. Whatever food plan works, but it's just a tool. It's just one part. And I can't see straight. If I'm in the food, I forget everything else is gone. There's no, I mean, I just cannot function in that space. But beyond that space, there's so much recovery, there's so much joy, there's so much goodness, and um, I am very happy to be a compulsive overeater, who would have guessed? And um, and close so we can take some questions, and thank you for letting me share. Uh, When did the chatter stop? When I stopped trying to manage my food when I was willing to not calculate, not weigh and measure, because I could not do it right. If I measured, I'd think, did I really level that off, or was there a little extra in there? Like, I'm crazy. And so when I was willing to have a plate of food that did not contain my alcoholic foods for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and a piece of fruit between lunch and dinner, that's my abstinence, and that's my food plan, the chatter went away because there was nothing to chat about. No matter what that lunch was, as long as my alcoholic foods were not on the plate, and there's no room for anything else on the plate. There's no room for bread that's not on the plate. There's no room for dessert. There's no room for anything other than what I ordered. I try to make the best, you know, the best um, decision I can make, and then I get to get up 
And, you know, I love now that we say, you know, three meals a day and life in between. When I came in, it was three meals a day and nothing in between. And that nothing was just the scariest, most horrible word. But life in between is pretty awesome. So that my, my uh, challenge was just learning how to get up. And then the chatter just went away because there was nowhere for it to, there was no point of it. How often did I break my abstinence? Um, when I first came into program, I started in New York and I, um, I didn't really do OA. I really treated it as a diet and calories club. So I never got a sponsor. I never worked the steps. I just sat there like a little sponge trying to absorb. And I did lose some weight, but um, I think I don't remember because I wasn't keeping track. The second time around, you know, I, um, at one point my sponsor went out and I really liked her. And she had a, she was, had a long time in program. So I figured she really disappointed me so badly that I, my brilliant idea was that I was going to be my own sponsor. And I was going to be a fabulous sponsor. I was going to give myself all kinds of leeway. And I was going to be very lenient for myself. And I booked my accidents a lot because I was not accountable. I did not have a real defined program. But once I came into the rooms this time, I have not broken my abstinence. And I know there are people, and I was among them, who say, I don't believe it. I hear people, they say 20 years. I just can't believe every day that they haven't had. But I believe it because I know what it looks like, and I know what it feels like, and I know that it's very doable a day at a time. Uh, the question is, can I share my, my spiritual evolution from non-believer to believer? So... Um, so I shared with you that somebody told me, you know, start to keep track of things that happen, coincidences in the world, and then also start to act as if. Like, we act as if on all kinds of things. Well, why not act as if, why not pray to the big, vast wonder of the world? You know, the great force of something. Like, why not just pretend? Just pray. You don't, you don't ever have to keep it up if you don't like it, but try it for a day. I do it now before and after meals. I say a little prayer in my head, or if I'm, you know, just, God, make this be enough, or thank you for allowing this to be enough, or the first step, or whatever. But it's, and the thing is, my God is not that Santa Claus God that people have, but it's a feeling of like, it's like an inside and outside kind of a, a, a higher plane. Like, I feel like I'm so much of a better person, and I feel like when I let go, there's something at work here that I don't really worry about. You know, I let go of so much stuff because I have faith that I can't even describe. But, I, you know, I, I feel it. So I'm sorry I can't be more specific. Can I talk about what it was like with my husband and what it's like now? I don't know how he lived with me because I was insane. I've been married almost 30 years. So in that incarnation, there was program and not program and program. And I would be so irritable. Like, I would go on a diet. And then he'd say, oh, let's go out for Chinese food tonight. And I'd say, Chinese food? I can't eat Chinese food. I'm on a diet. I, and now, today, he says, let's go out for Chinese food. I say, okay. I'm much easier to get along with. I'm, because I'm not in his stuff. I don't, I don't talk about his weight or his food or his issues or his stuff. I really stay on my side of the street, and I'm... I'm really nice. I'm not hardwired to be that nice and to be that caring or generous. Like today we both went to work out and he left his uh, iPad, iPod home and I said you could have, he could have mine. Who said that? Who can work out with no music? So, but you know what? I just feel like, you know what? I really get this service and I really get this kindness. And, and that's just sort of been an evolution that I couldn't think to manage and control that because I really thought 
So it's my problem. I'm fine, except I'm fat. I really thought that. And I have come to see that food was not my problem. Food's what I use to fix my problem, and I got problems. I got issues, you know? And so, and fear has been a big joy. I didn't even know until like six months ago how petrified I was and am. And so contrary action and sitting in that, but I'm really, I'm just nice. I'm willing, I'm willing to go to a movie that I don't want to see, because what the hell? Clean it up. (laughs) I digress. I'm glad you asked about my routine because I am a, um, I'm an addict. So I'm an all or nothing kind of, that's how I'm wired. I'm either in the gym every day or you don't see me for six months. And what I had to learn, which with my sponsor's help and with contrary action, was to do things consistently a little bit. So my program is made up of lots of little bits. So, for example, in my reading and, and the way I take my sponsees through the big book and through the, through the work is a paragraph at a time. Because two pages, when I came in, two pages of the big book just is too much for me. I can't digest that. And so I do little things. My writing is five minutes. Actually, that's not true. Five minutes I journal, and five minutes I work on whatever step I'm on. So it's ten minutes. But little bits. So when I wake up, it says, you know, upon awakening, I think about the day ahead. And I think about where are my meals, where are my feet, how can I be of service. Like I think about, you know, and then I ask God, for lack of whatever word, to not to fix things or control or manage or make sure I'm happy because then I can go out and be of service. You know, you want me to be happy. I ask, God, please be with me no matter what I'm going through. Because some days I'm not going to be happy. Some days are going to be really challenging. Or not even whole days anymore. Because it used to be, I used to feel like this is authentic. I'm in a bad mood. And, and now I feel like, you know what, that bad mood is contagious just like germs And if you had a cold. Like think about who we like to be around. I like to be around people who are positive and happy. I don't want to be around somebody who's talking to me like incessantly about the Middle East. I mean, <laughs> sorry. Thank you for letting me share. 